Hey kids, Future Mike here with a brief message before we get going on the episode. You may have noticed that there was way more time between this episode and our last one than we usually like. Not to go into detail, but a lot of stuff happened away from the mics in that in-between. We thank you for your patience as we continue the process of reordering all the stuff that sent us looking for sabbatical in the first place into a more reasonable format. One announcement regarding one of those in-between things is that I've set up a Patreon account. The hope is that I can use the support from that to open up some space that's previously been spent on day jobs, side jobs, or searching for new versions of both of those. Instead, dedicate it to creating, editing, and releasing content that you find folks have looked forward to as a part of what Inroads Ministries puts out. As this Patreon is directly supporting me rather than the ministry writ large, this will be the first and only time you'll hear me dedicate airspace to it. Well, unless somebody makes mention of it in the episode and wants a response from me. I wanted to let you know about it here, though, as it could potentially be of benefit to the release schedule, and because a number of listeners have asked me in the past to let them know if we ever opened up Patreon or something like that. If you'd like to check out my Patreon, you can find it at patreon.com slash dwarfbard, and if you don't, I want to assure you that GSP will not be directly impacted, except hopefully helping me get that release schedule settled. All that said, here's episode 210 of Game Store Profits, and here's hoping present Mike can get this train back on schedule for episode 211. Future Mike, out. Welcome to Game Store Profits, where we talk about God, gaming, and groups. I'm your host, Daniel Fisher, and today I'm joined with the illustrious and pernicious Michael Perna. You know, my name has offered itself to many different weird kind of things. Um, I can't say I've ever heard that one before. <laughs> well, it means cheerful and expressive and outgoing, and I thought that suited you. You know, I, I, I'll take that. That sounds rather fitting. Okay. How are you doing, Daniel? I'm doing okay, Mike. It's Saturday evening at 10.30, and I'm in my squeakiest of squeaky chairs, so if uh, anybody hears me moving around, it's because I'm in the crap chair. I, I believe your squeaky chair is right up there with Blarry the Podcast Train from the Saving the Game guys. Oh. Uh, no one no one ever hears it because we edit it out, but it is an ever-present problem. <laughs> Great. At least I know I'm. Uh, I'm joined by a lot of great guys. Did you ever? There was one time there was discussed amongst all of us nerdy podcasters that we were going to get all of our mascots together and do a campaign, like a D and D campaign where all the characters were our mascots. So like our dwarf bard, with uh, the knight from the Geek at Arms guys, that <laughs> we were gonna get. I mean, it was gonna be great. We were going to get Blarry the podcast train for the saving for saving the game. I want to run that campaign now. Well, then we have to have the Mike Mike. The Mike Mike. Yeah. Mike Mike. The Mike Mike would be an NPC. Come on. Yeah, I don't know. He could be a sidekick. <laughs> I could I could see Mike Mike as a sidekick. Who wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> he he's living a lonely life in the basement now though, by himself in the floor. He's so sad in his little goateed glory. Yeah, I know. I need to fix up the new new one to have a mic mic. So. But yeah, so uh, how's things going with you? Things are good? Yes, uh, good. 
That's, we'll go with good. That's the correct words. It's the words we want to hear. So, uh, Daniel, we have one of those rare things where both of us have played some games. Though mine, sadly, have not been in actual board game form. Mine have been in app form. But I've still been playing them, and they still count. Hey, now listen. Any game... You know that you play is going to count. So I'm, I'm not, exactly, I'm not, yeah. So I mean, I, I think that you know, even if we do have to open up Lords of Waterdeep on our phones just to get in some game time, uh, I actually that, I don't have it on my phone. I have it on Steam, which means I play it a lot less than I probably would if it was on my phone. I have it on my tablet. So, and I realize I can't play with pe- well, actually, I can't play with people on iPhone that have it because my tablet is. Android, so, but yeah, the Hopefully. struggles of life. So, Daniel, would, do you want to start talking about your games first, or would you like yes. me to start talking about mine? I will talk about mine. So, every uh, Valentine's Day, a friend of ours, um, usually his his name's Andrew. He has a girlfriend at these you know this wonderful month every year, and he and will go out to eat with me and my wife and him and his girlfriend, and we always come back home and we always play games so and for our valentine's day was we did we celebrated it last week and we actually came back after eating some wonderful asian food and got to play two games and uh first one is santorini and that was actually a gift from uh, zach hughes over at game church and the other one is a card game called racing demons okay now, you're definitely going to have to explain Racing Demons because even I don't know what that one is. So you're okay. going to have to go with that it, one. It's got but a that... lot of different names. My wife calls it something different. I call it Racing Demons. But pretty much what, what this... Everybody has a deck of... A 52 deck of cards. Okay. And it, you're pretty much playing Solitaire against everybody else. But instead of you finishing out your suits... You put, you know, as you're starting to finish it out, you're you're putting your cards down in the middle, and and people can lay cards on top of it to g- complete the suits. So it's like battle solitaire, pretty much. It's actually kind of fun, except when you're me and you're kind of slow at it because I always think about stuff whenever I'm playing solitaire, so I can't really play as fast as everybody else can, and they're always slapping cards down, and you know, it's, it's annoying, but it's fun. So my wife so, really loves it. So what what's the the goal of it is to literally just get rid of your hand? Yeah, and you'll win. I I have a lot of appreciation for games that are I don't I like if I call it simple that seems like I'm I'm downgrading it, but it it's not. I love like just that real simple basic we're going to have a blast with this yeah. deck of cards and that's all we need. Well, yeah, and it's a deck of cards per person, so I mean, something about it, she's like, you have all these games, and I can just have so much fun with just a simple deck of cards. I'm like, just rub it in. Rub it in. (laughs) You know? She's like, won't you learn how to play this? I'm like, no. Well, that's, I will say that um, a series that I have really appreciated in the greater board game media world, the guys at Shut Up and Sit Down, specifically Quinn's, but I, you know, it's just all of them, um... Mm -hmm has a series of videos that he did, and I think he is still doing it, called Card Games That Don't Suck. Oh, okay. Just and it's, like it's literally just him going through these old, like, just basic deck of cards games that are really, really interesting, and he thinks more people should play them. 
it's absolutely fascinating. And there's been a couple of them that I've I've wanted to try. Uh, well, I might have to go through and watch that with her because she'll she'll absolutely love it. So, but we also like whenever we go on a trip, we always buy a deck of cards from where we're at. So it's kind of like a family tradition now. We get that and a refrigerator magnet. Nice. Yeah, because we're we're those weird people that buy things like that at, at souvenir shops. Okay, so that's racing demons. Yes. So nice fifty-two card deck. You know, everybody gets one. Yeah. Now, we're going to go the exact opposite with Santorini because, yes. you know, we go from a plain deck of cards to this really, really elaborate, cool, like, island, elevated island board on a yeah. table. Yeah, and it's, it, okay, so my wife actually said, I really like this game. And this is the first time I've had a game like that. She said, I've really liked it. So uh, explain to the good people at home who may or may not have played Santorini before. Okay, so Santorini, um, and I'll probably get it wrong since I've only got to play it really one time. So we played it as teams, and your your goal is to build your building up to three and get your character, at least one character, up to the third level. And the first, first group that does that wins. So, but the thing is, though, it's kind of like chess because you can end up blocking people, um, you can annoy the crap out of them by doing that. Um, there's cards that keep, uh, that if you do something, it'll keep somebody else from doing something. And so you just have to know how to play and what to lay down. And it'll take some time to get used to it. I mean, I did win on my first time, but I think it was really beginner's luck. So, but yeah, essentially you're building a building and you're trying to get to the top part of the building. And, it's made for like two players, but it can be played with three and four. But they said that the best the best way to play it is with two players, but we had four, so we had to play on teams. Yeah, I, I like the strategy of the two player, but it's it's really hard to get two player games mm-hmm. when you whenever you're running a game day because everybody wants to play together. Yeah, and then they're like, "Oh, that looks cool because there's 3D pieces and it looks it's a lot different." It's gorgeous. If you if you haven't put it together because you don't know the name of the place, uh, Santorini. If you've ever seen a a picture of a, a travel agent trying to sell you on a trip to Greece, it's more than likely it's a picture of Santorini. Yeah, and I actually was like, I need to paint these little figurines. Uh, I mean, it's it's a really nice, simple game, and it's fun. And I think that what blew me away was how simple it was, but how fun and engaging it was. And now, did you play with... I know there's an additional thing that's like a deck of god cards that give yeah. you special powers. Yeah, that's what we played with. So Can I can I ask who your, who your person was? Oh, crap. I can't even remember now. It's been a week, Mike. Oh, my goodness. Uh... Uh, I was able to walk the walls, the edge pieces. I could, I could take an extra turn as long as I was walking on the edge. Well, there you go. I can't remember who it was, though. <laughs> Insert random name of Greek god here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to insult the random non-existent Greek god, but... Um, so, but yeah, no, I can't remember who it was, though. If I, if I can figure it out, I'll post about it. But yeah, I I like Santorini a lot, and and one thing that I will definitely say, if we didn't already allude to it, the 3D pieces, the 3D board, like, 
this game, there's lots of ways you could play this game, and it didn't need that, but my goodness, man, oh. sitting on the table, this thing is just pretty. It's eye candy. It really is. It draws people in. Plus, and it's not expensive. No, it's I mean, not. You, can, you for, can pick it up at Target for like under $20 now. Yeah, for what you get in that box, it's a really nice buy. Yeah. So, uh, what have you been playing there, buddy? Like I said, I've been playing in app form, uh, mostly because of the fact that I haven't been able to gather anybody together to play with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is a solo game, and for my money, a lot of these solo card games are best played in app form because all of them have so much shuffling involved. The first one I bought was Oniram, which is a wonderful solo game. It really, really is. I will recommend it hands down for anybody who wants a solo card game experience, but my goodness, is it a lot of shuffling. So I love the fact that I have it in app form. This one that I've been playing is a game that I've heard about for ages like it it was one of if not the first solo game and not only that it has the the pedigree of being a freedom and freeze game and that is friday now friday probably conjures many an image including a music video that i'm not going to sing right now lest all of our (laughs) listeners have it in their heads and we, we we start the end of the world uh i this is you are playing as Friday, aka the right hand man of Robinson Crusoe. But here's the thing Robinson Crusoe's an idiot. <laughs> and Friday's job is to keep him alive in uh, like some of the different cards that, that you have to deal with are things like cannibals and tigers and <laughs> and all this stuff that that Wandering around a desert island is going to get you killed. So the way it works is that you have these goal cards and you have to basically gather enough points to achieve that goal and add it into your, your deck, as it were. They they all give you special abilities. Some of them are you can draw more cards. Some of them are you can get more life because, yes, you do have to keep Robinson alive and that's important. But do we really... Yes, if you want to win this game. Uh, there's things like you can double the point value of a card. There's things like you can copy a card's special ability. All sorts of different things that help you get to the point total. So on these goals, you have the point total that's required. You also have the number of cards you can draw for free to meet that point total. So obviously, the ones with the higher you know goal value... You get to draw more cards for free, but here's the thing. A lot of the cards at the beginning, like any good deck builder, are awful. Most of the cards that you start off with are either zero points or negative one points. Depending on the difficulty that you want to play with, you also get these cards that really, really ruin your day. Things like uh, minus two. Uh, One of them says that the highest point card that you have in play doesn't count. You get one that's just, no matter what happens, you like your Robinson loses a life. It and almost sounds like somebody from We Didn't Play Test this came up with some cards for it. So, the way you get rid of cards in this game is if you have a goal, you can either draw your cards and then you can pay life to draw more cards if you need to, which at the beginning of the game, 
you will almost always need to. And you, you, if you get the goal, you just pull that goal card and it's now in your hand, your, your deck and you're good to go. You move on to the next one. If you fail to meet that goal, however, you get a certain number of, of cards that you can get rid of. If you want to get one of those big ticket, super bad, mega awful cards out, it takes two points of two cards worth of, of getting stuff out of your deck. And you're basically trying to whittle it down, build up points, like get more goals that give you cool effects and more points, while at the same point, getting rid of all this nonsense that is gunking up your decking, making it hard to get the point values. You mm-hmm. go through three rounds of this. The first round, things are pretty easy. All the points, the, the point values you need are like one, two, three. There's even a whole lot of zero point that literally, unless you draw a negative, you get as it goes through, though, the, the next level, it's harder. And then the, by the final level, there are cards that, that you need to score like 12, 13 points to get. And that you better hope that you have done a good job of gathering up other cards to keep that going. At the end of the game, you are literally fighting pirates and trying to get through and make basically get through that deck as well with hopefully what you have in your in your hand. This game is really, really, really hard. So they ha- and, and how much does it cost? The app? This sounds like I want to play it. It's a couple bucks, the app. Okay. If you get rid of all your cards really quickly and try to get rid of all the nonsense really fast, you are burning your life. I, I promise you, you are just running through the 20 points of life that Robinson has. If Robinson dies, you lose. If you don't get rid of those cards and you make your way and you just continue to just build up the the life cards and just your Robinson is in great shape, but if you still have all that garbage in your deck, you will still probably lose. So it's just like any kind of of it it, it has a lot of the, the cooperative game issues where it's like there's only like a handful of ways to win and there's lots of different ways that this yeah. can go horribly, horribly wrong. Hmm. Uh, I really like the game. I really like the app, too. It really is a, a good implementation of this game, and it's a ton of fun. Like I said, it's really nice to not have to worry about shuffling the cards all the time. Sounds like something I might want to try, so I'm going to have a look at it when I get a chance. Another game that I've been playing in app form is Galaxy Trucker. Have you ever played Galaxy Trucker, Daniel? No, but it, wasn't there like a really bad sci-fi that had like Galaxy Truckers in it? Like it didn't kick off very well, or wasn't it? A, it could have been like an actual video game. I don't know. I've never, I, I've never played it. The board game is a. a <laughs> it's two phases really. You start by building your ship. Yeah, And the way you do that is there's a bunch of face-down tiles in the middle of the board, or the middle of the, the table, and you have a time limit. And you In that time limit, you have to flip the, the tiles over and place them in this grid of a ship that's on your little personal board. Okay. Now, only cer- like there are certain connectors that only can match up to other certain connectors, and there are, are certain things that need energy, and if you don't have energy, they don't work. If you put... A gun in, in one spot, it doesn't shift or move. It's only going to shoot in that direction. You have to make sure that you have people on your ship, because if you don't have people, there's no one going to be flying it, and you automatically lose. This is what? timed, and not only is it timed, but in the the actual physical game, you have to do it one-handed. 
in app form, they're a little bit more gracious. You can, you're just flicking it on your phone. Yeah. But still, technically, you're kind of still doing it one-handed because it's not like you can be grabbing all these cards two-handed because you're just you still have to flick your phone. But so that that's the first phase is actually building your ship, and that is lunacy because there there's a race to do that. Not only is it times, but if you're the first person to finish your ship, you get to be out front during the race portion of this. Galaxy Trucker is part pick up and deliver because you're trying to get right. uh, items off of planets and other things because that's how you make your money. But it's also a race game because you get points for being first to get get across the line. The first person on the list gets the first choice of where they want to go and that sort of stuff. So this game, this game is legendarily nuts. This game is is just crazy pants all the way around, and. It's no different in app form. It's it's a constant craziness because not only is it just nuts to try to, to find the right spots to fill your ship because your ships are never pretty. Yeah. They're just not. Uh, but by the time you're done and you're doing this race, there have been times that I have literally crossed the, the finish line of this race with just a cabin full of two little guys... On, on an engine. And we're just like, please, 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 just make it. Just make it through. <laughs> because there, there there's stuff in the app that I don't know if it's in the card game, but I know the actual board game, there's stuff that doesn't go into the app. Like, I, I've seen the board game, and there's, there's cool th- things that go in there that the app doesn't do. But, man, I've had a ton of fun playing this. There's a campaign in the... Uh, the app game, it's a solo campaign, and you do just stupid, silly things constantly. It breaks the fourth wall all the time. Like there's a there's a point where you go into a bar and you you get a drink, and you ask the bartender, "What the heck? What what do you?" He's like, "What? You just you bought a drink? Aren't I supposed to get a quest or something?" He goes, "No, this is a bar. I'm a bartender. You bought a drink." <laughs> So like, I, I I love that stuff. It's so stupid and ridiculous, and I love it. I've had a fun time playing it. That's good. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. I don't care how silly a game might seem to somebody. As long as you're having fun with it, go with it. Oh, I, I would love to have the physical game, but it is, like, super out of print as far as I can tell. But I would love to have it at some point because it, it's crazy. Well, if it's good, it'll eventually come back. Here's hoping. Anyway, speaking of things we hope to see in the future, you like that segue? You know you do. Oh, yeah. Uh, It is time for the first of our our newfound segments of the show. And this is the one where we look at stuff that's coming in the future, stuff that we don't have yet or we may never have, but we're just super excited to see what it looks like. And that is a, a segment called Hype Intensifies. This one technically shouldn't be in Hype Intensifies, but because of the fact that I don't physically have it on my person yet, I'm putting it here because my hype is real. Uh, I was part of the, as part of a Christmas slash birthday present when it was live, uh, I was part of the digital version of Blood Rage, the Kickstarter for that. 
And while the digital version has not shown Heidner, Heidner hair, and I didn't get any of the miniatures because I could not afford them, I did throw in some money to get the the Blood Rage neoprene playmat. The reason this isn't hype intensifies is because... See, here's the thing. For those of you who have been playing our home game, you know that my family and I moved from the state of New Jersey to the state of Pennsylvania, particularly western Pennsylvania. And Kickstarter, being what it is, that Kickstarter funded and I got the survey before we knew we needed to move out here. (laughs) Oh, that sucks. So it was sent to our old address. Thankfully... My sister-in-law is right around the corner from our old address. And I said, can you please drive past there? If there's a tube that's addressed to me on the front porch, can you go and grab that for me? Do you still own the house? Technically, yes, we do. We are in the process of making that not happen, but we do still own it. Okay, so it wasn't like somebody was like... No, I did not send my sister-in-law to do mail fraud. (laughs) Porch pirate. Yeah. No, it is still our place. Make it sure. Make it sure, man. But uh, she has it. She has confirmed with me that it is in her possession. But her possession is currently between six and eight hours away from me. <laughs> and uh, I, I look forward to one day playing with that playmat because if you've never played Blood Rage, Blood Rage has a board. It also has a sideboard for Valhalla. And it has a couple other like age trackers. In this, rather than have that be three separate things, it's all one piece of neoprene mat. That does sound nice. Oh, it's so nice, and I can't wait. Because Blood Rage, Blood Rage is still one of my favorite games, and the idea of playing it on that instead of all those clunky boards, it oh, it makes me so happy. And there's one last thing on this, and, and I especially wanted to talk to you about this, Daniel, yeah. because this is... I don't know if I would say it's near and dear to your heart, but I know that it's it's got to be interesting for you as a minis painter. Hero Forge 2.0, uh, if you don't know anything about Hero Forge, basically they have a ever-growing collection of, I don't know, different configurations for miniatures. So it's like different races, different outfits, different weapons, different all sorts of things. That, and you can customize them to make it look as close to your character as you're ever probably going to find. They just, I believe, I don't know. It may be over. I haven't looked at it recently, but it doesn't matter because I don't, uh, the, just the, the hype intensifies portion of this is just the possibilities here in their newest Kickstarter. They said that normally either you'll get the file or you can have them print it. And if they print it, you just get the mini and you can paint it up however you want. They're now saying that they have the ability for you to get them painted, not painted, but printed in color Mm -hmm. so that they require zero painting. They are printed, like 3D printed in color. Daniel, I really want to hear your thoughts on this. Well, first of all, as I sit here and paint a miniature right now, um, because that's what I do when we do these podcasts usually is I paint miniatures. Uh, you know how much I love them. I love miniatures. I have tons that are not painted. And the idea of getting pre-painted miniatures scares me. Because I've seen pre-painted miniatures. But these aren't painted. Now, I will say as a 3D printing enthusiast. 
because I do own multiple 3D printers. This technology is not new. Okay? Um, the, the color printing technology like this. It's just expensive. And now, what I believe that the money that you're actually paying for uh, is actually not going to them per se as far as like buying a printer or something that can handle this but it's actually going to upgrades on the website because they do they use shapeways to do all the printing and i'm pretty sure shapeways already has that ability to paint and color uh, print and color but the for their website to be able to handle adding color to miniatures then they had to upgrade their website and it's not cheap because I looked at building the website like that once, and we with a business buddy of mine, and um, us telling you beforehand that we looked at the price, and it was going to cost over a million dollars to build that website with that technology behind it. So, but I have seen the miniatures, the heroes, not readers, not renders. I've seen them because they've gotten demos out to people on YouTube. I haven't seen it in person, but I've seen up close pictures of them. So, um, and for your everyday Dungeons and Dragons, uh, they look great. I mean, they're not painted, but like, it's something that a lot of people would say is a desktop standard, tabletop standard. Sorry. Well, and for a lot of people, painting is just not like they they can barely get yeah. the games to the table let alone yeah. paint the miniatures yeah and and then i could see everybody complains i i hear the complaints on the internet cuz it comes to me usually uh but a lot of people are like well this is going to hurt the commission painters not really commission painters have been going on for over 40 years now um and they make the brunt of their money from war games not people's dandy collection so um but yeah i mean i think i think it's great for you know people it's going to be expensive it's probably going to cost tw- i think it'll probably end up costing twice as much as what their normal print jobs cost i don't doubt it yeah but i think it, it'd be kind of cool especially if you want your your custom miniature and you know i'm actually wanting to get one of myself because you know you've seen where I've sat and played on their website building 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 models of each one of us because I've got bored at work i so, I did it too I can't fault you i did yeah. i have yeah I have those pictures I did it yeah and I, I thought I thought it was great you know and, and it might be something where like I might get one printed for my birthday or something like that especially because they you not only do they do miniatures they do like statuette size too I know. I mean, and I always joke about about it to my wife. Like, if I ever die, I always wanted to be turned into a statue and put in the corner of the room. (laughs) So, and this could be just a little bit of that, you know, eventually. (laughs) But, you know, and, you know, there's there's always going to be the naysayers and stuff like that. And, but as a person that loves miniatures, I'm not their primary target because I love painting miniatures. Right, and you you get the insane quality in miniatures too. Like yeah. you're you got an eye for detail that even I don't have. I tried it, yeah. I, I'm not perfect, but um, but yeah, I mean, I I like I see I see stuff, and and there's there's gonna be problems when this first kicks up. 
colors aren't going to line up with where they should be, stuff like that. From what I can tell, it's going to be like a sandstone type polymer. And I've seen this before. Um, people order miniatures and they choose the wrong material and they get it done in this sandstone. And it you can't wash it. Now, if they figured out how to do this with their smooth plastic, then what you can do is when you get this miniature, you can literally take a um, Army Painter Strong Tone wash, put over it, boom, you have depth. Because I've noticed that's the only thing that you don't have on these miniatures is depth. So I would hit it with some varnish, let that dry, wash it, then hit it with some matte clear coat, boom and you've got a perfectly great miniature for the table and everybody's gonna be like "Ooh, ah where can i get that done you know <laughs> yeah i for me i think that if nothing else i love that uh this is making this technology accessible to people like yeah. me who don't happen to own a 3d printer well i don't have a 3d printer that can print in color either right but i'm just i'm just saying that for me like I'm kind of midway between, you know, somebody who's never even known this was a possibility and you. Yeah. Like, and so, I, as speaking as somebody at this level or, or lower, I got to say that this is a neat opportunity to be able to do something like this. Because not everybody can, can get the paints together. Not everybody can make that happen. And the idea of having a really decent looking uh, miniature that looks like your character, because... For those of us who like to play weird combinations of things, it's sometimes hard to find a, a miniature that's stock that that matches that. It's it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of. I mean, there there's custom miniatures coming out here lately, and actually, there's something on my um, radar right now. There, it's called Adventures and Adversaries. Um, the Kickstarter hasn't kicked off yet, and I've actually got one of their miniatures from their first wave, but what they do, it's it's the guys from Norse Foundry, and I know I always talk about them, but they are always got their, their, their hands in something. So the first miniature that I ever got from them was a resin dwarf, and I have not painted him yet, but what they are doing is they're creating those weird races that... Don't get a lot of miniatures made of them in Dungeons and Dragons. And then they're all also offering customizations. And by that, it means that they're sending the miniature on a sprue with different parts that you can put on the miniature and take out or, you know, swap out with however you want it. And they're getting ready to do wave two of it. Nice. So, which will be their next, next set of miniatures. And from what I can tell, um, you have a tabaxi. Uh, turtle, turtles. One of the um, uh, is it a Asimar the the bird people? Oh, uh, Aracocra. Oh, Aracocra. And when when anybody ever brings that up, I always just think of bird person from Rick and Morty. <laughs> um, and looks like two other lizard type characters, and I don't know what they are, so I have to look them up to figure out what they are. So. But yeah, I'll probably end up getting the Aracoca because I don't really like Tabaxi. I don't know what it is. I don't hate me for that, people. It's just my preference. So, well, that's some exciting stuff on the horizon. I I love talking about what people are doing to 
make things more accessible, get oh, yeah. cool cool tech in more people's hands. So that's always a good thing. But sometimes we got to say, you know, there's stuff that is way back in the past. Things that we haven't forgotten, but sometimes in this crazy world where we've gone from, you know, a couple hundred games released in a year to literally 3,000 plus games released in a year, it's really easy to have one slip through. And so that's why we have a segment that has been the first segment that our podcast ever had that we've carried on into this new era, and that's called The Archive Dive. Archive Dive! We really need sound effects for that. Yeah, I... I don't do sound effects. It's bad enough that I had to, you know, find cool music to put in for this and make it, you know, all pretty and fancy. Oh, my gosh. Where's Jeff at when we need him? Jeff is working for Megacorp furiously, and that's why we don't see him anymore. Makes me sad. Makes me sad, too. Megacorp, give us our Jeffy back. I know. Whatever dragon must be appeased. (laughs) I just want to play D&D with him. Anyway. Uh, for the archive dive, I, I, because of the fact that I had my own little, little sabbatical and you guys had your own sabbatical, I've lost my list of what archive dive games have been listed in the past. And there's part of me that thinks that I've brought this up before. I know I've mentioned it before, but I don't know if I've archive dived it before, but I, I felt compelled to, to bring this one up again, because this one, not only is it a really good game. Not only is it a really good production, it has a lot of personal value to me. That's the game Spirit Island. You know, you've mentioned it before, but I do not believe we've ever done an archive dive with it. Well, that's good, because I'm about to right now. Spirit Island is a cooperative game, and there's lots of reasons why I like it. I love the artwork, I love the style of the game. What you get in the box for the cost of the game is really, really good value. I like that it's a modular board. I... I'm just in love with so many different things about this game, but there's one aspect that I especially find intriguing. Normally, in a game where you are talking about going to a, a an, an island, paradise as it were, and that there are people setting up cities and developing armies and all that, the people who are building those cities, who are developing those places and getting those resources... They're the players. Yeah. In this game, those are the villains. Each player is playing the spirit of this island, or one of the spirits of this island. And they're com- like, every spirit has a completely different personality. Uh, there's one that I love to play who is basically... I forget all the names because the names are super long. But I love to play the one that is basically the symbol of of the rocks and the the ground and the earth of this island. Um, The thing that I like about this is that not only is every player unique, but it also has completely different play styles because there are fast actions that happen immediately. And there are slow actions that have to... you, You basically pace them out. So you have actions where... 
you know, if you need to take care of something right now before the the uh, settlers or the invaders do their thing, you can't play a slow action. Because if you play a slow action, they're going to destroy whatever they're going to destroy. But instead of that, you you can you, the really slow actions are really powerful. So like my my rock guy, he's just fully loaded on absolute slow powers. But my goodness, he will just level bad guys. You know, I like that concept. Um, with the as far as playing the the spirits of the island, and that what we would normally see as the good guys as the bad guys, it reminds me of uh, a card game I love is Boss Monster. Yeah, yeah. the The really interesting way of this game is that. The problem with so many cooperative games is that they lend themselves to alpha players or, you know, the guys who are like, okay, what you're going to do is this, 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 and this. It's the best move. You're just going to want to do that. This game, I'm not saying you can't do it, but I'm going to say it's a lot harder. Right. Because all the cards are in your hand. They don't know what you even have, let alone telling you what to do about it. People can make suggestions we need to do something about these people over here or they're going to blight this land. But they can't tell anybody how to do it. Right. Or, you know, you can have discussions about we need to do something in a fast action right here. Or if if you can get these guys from this place to here, then I can take them out. My favorite combination is basically anybody with the ocean spirit. Because the ocean spirit only can affect people on the coastline. But literally, it can wipe people off the coastline. (laughs) So if you team up with a spirit that can push people, you can have them push people to the coast, and then the ocean just washes them away. Actually, it sounds pretty cool. So the goal of the game, is it's in a couple different waves, but the goal of the game is to basically, well... I'll be more specific. There there are shifting goals because at first you're trying to, you have to get rid of everything, but the more terror, the more fear that you put into the hearts of these invaders, the easier it is for you to win. So there, there are actually some spirits who focus on building terror. Like they're not really affecting the board state all that much, but they are just piling up the fear of the spirits of this island in the invaders' hearts, making it easier and easier for the rest of you to do what you need to do to win. In the beginning, you literally have to wipe everything off, everything that isn't your people. Because, yes, there are natives on the island, and you have to protect them. You can actually use them to fight back. But at the beginning, you have to get rid of everything. By the time you're done, I think you only have to... Like, if you only have, like, two towns left on the board you win if you're if they're that scared of you they'll just leave there's a lot to balance in the game and it is super hard but when you get a good combination of spirits if you get people who know what they're doing and can be creative about it i love the interactions of this game i love the the unique theme like i said the idea that instead of being the people who are going and exploiting the island, you are the spirits trying to stop those people. Super interesting to me. And I just love how everything about this game plays. Yeah, I might 
want to try that game because it does sound really cool. I mean, in the past, I haven't really thought about it that way, but I've been more pondering a D&D session now, a one-shot where you're actually the monsters in the dungeons. I like and, I like those kind of games as a one-shot. Yeah, and, and like everybody's your neighbor inside the dungeon, and all these people are coming in and be like, hey, listen, we're going to kill everybody. <laughs> did, did you hear what happened to Larry? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Somebody went into his pit and just set him on fire. Yeah. That ooze will never be the same. So, yeah, I, I love this game. And if you if you're new to the podcast, if you didn't know anything about my story, um, my wife suffered from really bad postpartum uh, combined with some mental health issues that she has just as part of her existence. And so the first month after our son was born, it was real bad. And... I had uh, some friends come over and Susan was actually at the hospital getting taken care of for a little bit, but I had to stay home with Noah. So these friends came over and they're like, what can we do to just let you chill out for a minute and just take your mind off of all the problems and just relax? And I said, I, I didn't know. And then she, the, my one friend looked at me and said, pick a game that you haven't played yet that you really want to play but you haven't gotten to table before. And Spirit Island was the one I'd gotten it for Christmas. And I literally sat there at a time when my world was crumbling around me. And I was playing as this, this rock spirit and just protecting my people. And I had my son in my arms and yeah, no, this game, I could never play this game again. And I will always have it on my shelf because of that. Yeah, that's, that makes it special, man. But yeah, even without that, it's a really great game. I highly recommend you check it out. You're making me cry. I do that sometimes. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> I really do. I did. I mean, yeah, it made me feel. But again, we as we've been talking to people, it, whether you, you're new to the podcast, I know that af- after we come back from sabbatical, there's a new wave of people that want to check us out and everything. So if you're new to the podcast and you have no idea about the tavern, the Tavern is our Facebook group. It's facebook.com slash uh, groups slash Game Store Profits. Check us out there. Become one of the regulars because everybody there is a regular. And uh, you can participate in our next segment that we refer to as Tavern Talk. Yes. I'm excited about this one. Tavern talk is basically when we just throw out a post in the tavern and say, look, we're going to handle a couple questions. We, we've we only done this twice, but so far we've kind of been topped off at three questions. If we really get one that's like super big and something that we really want to chew on, then maybe we'll get a, a couple less. But right now it's about three questions out of a, a long stack Again, everybody who's listening who is in the tavern, thank you so much. Uh, Daniel and I have already been talking about things that we can do with those questions that don't get mentioned in the podcast because we, I think we spent like 15 minutes before we got started saying which ones of these are going to make the cut because there were a number of them that were really good. So the first question that we want to tackle is kind of a twofer. We kind of shoved two questions together because there was a significant overlap in what our answers would have been. Uh, Rachel Knight asked, what incentives, if any, do you get 
do you use to get people to come over for game night? And in the original question, she said that somebody basically promised pizza and uh, that got people to come. And then Matt Percy asked, what is our favorite game snack? The reason we shove these together is because, Rachel, the answer is almost always food. Yes. <laughs> food is your friend. I mean, like, with us, um, you know, it's we, we usually do game nights as our small group. Uh, so people come anyway, but what we have a tendency to do with that is um, we take and set up a menu for the night. Like, we'll either do, like, a taco bar or make quesadillas and have the quesadilla maker going and just have different types of things to put inside of that or something like that. Um, now, if I'm running a D&D session and it's, like, a f- lot of first-time kids, I always go with the classics. Pizza, Cheetos, Funyuns, Mountain Dew, and sometimes my wife tries to sneak in a vegetable plate that doesn't get touched. So, you know, kids, they don't like stuff like that. So, I've gone back and forth on the favorite game snack. At this point in my existence, whenever I've had uh, games, there's al- there's always going to be uh, certain things. Like you said, there's always going to be like chips, there's always going to be sodas and whatever. However, I will say for me, as far as favorites, now it's not always possible, but we're talking about favorites here, so we're going to just go with the ideal I'm in favor, generally, of a big-ticket item that you're not going to necessarily be having over and over and over throughout the day, but, like, you sit down, and before the game starts, you enjoy this. Yeah. And then it just carries you through. I'm a big proponent of if it's my turn for snacks for game day, I go over to to Dunkin' or whatever my local donut place is, and I get some really, really nice donuts. Now... We used to do that back before I was married. We had, um, what we would always do is we would plan on stopping somewhere or ordering pizza. But when we'd ordered pizza, we waited for everybody and we made sure we got good pizza. Everybody chipped in. It wasn't, it wasn't like Little Caesars. Like we were going high end. And we'd all sit down and eat and spend time together as people may have be tweaking stuff on their character sheets and things like that. So. So, yeah, it seems like both of our answers are get one really good, crazy thing that you don't have all the time and make sure it's really, really good. (laughs) Now, I will tell you, um, the snack thing has changed for me since the surgery. Well, yeah, it would. So, here's my thing is, like, I could still eat regular food. I just eat a small amount of it. Um, But I eat a lot more protein now. Because I need to eat 75 grams of protein a day. So you'll find me hitting um, usually jerky or protein bars. I was about to say beef jerky all the way, buddy. Yeah. But the 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 thing is, though, I crave, since the surgery, since day one of the surgery, I crave tortilla chips. Well, all right then. Yeah. And so, like, if we don't have tortilla chips in the house, I literally go insane. And so, like, the... I'll, I'll eat everything I can just to get the. It's the salt. It really is the salt. And so um, uh, I'll go through everything in the house to get that salty, crunchy flavor I can get. And, you know, that's my new go to snack. So it'll be at the table with me while I play. The next question is brought by our 
our occasional co-host, or at least back in the day before I had all this this team of goodness with me, uh, Chris North. Uh, Chris asked, what pop culture skins of established games do you prefer to the original versions? Oh, wow. As I said, this is where I'm going to stretch my nerd muscle. This is where I'm going to straight up flex because there's. this is when I'm going to get all hipster on us because there is a game that is literally not available in North America. Well, there's a few games like that. But... No, yes, there are, and I, I really am happy to see some of them coming over here. But particularly in this question, there is one that I doubt will ever be available in North America because of the almighty licensing. There's a game called Timeline. And Timeline is a very simple game. Depending on, There's lots of different versions of it. But it's all like you have to put things in order of when they came out. So it's like, which came first, the light bulb or the Model T? And you have to put them in the right order. And if you get it wrong, then it, you're out. There is. Available. In the European market, it might be available other places, but I've only heard it mentioned in the European market. Marvel Comics Timeline. And I'm going to put out an appeal. Because I know we have fans and we have regulars in England and in Germany and probably in other countries as well that might possibly bump into this one day. I will pay international shipping to get Marvel Timeline. (laughs) I want it because a lot of them are really like they're either stuff that it's like that the inventions or it's like things in history, like great historical events. One that is really for the nerdy is like dinosaurs, but I want Marvel. If I ever get a copy of timeline, it will be the Marvel timeline. You know, I just looked at it on board game geek and it's $27. Somebody has it listed and he will, sh- it's in the United States and he accepts PayPal. Okay. Stop. Called- Cause I don't have the money on me right now. And don't, don't make me be that guy. It's called Marvel Cardline. Oh, it's Cardline. Cardline and Timeline are basically the same thing. So, now, as I've said in the past, sometimes when they reskin games, kind of reminds me of IP-related stuff. But I will say Monkskin games. Oh, my gosh. They have some of the funniest skins on those games. And, I mean... They've got Marvel. They got Warhammer Forty Thousand. I think they even got Stranger Things. I actually opened a box of something. What was it? And it had a card. What was it? I just opened it up the other day. I'm trying to think because I thought it was in here. Anyway, it had makes jokes about everything. I know, and 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 it had a card in it, and I got. I knew I set it down somewhere. I just don't remember where I set it. And I was like, "Well, there's another Monkskin card." But, like, it's everywhere. Monkskin, Monkskin, Monkskin. But, I mean, I like Monkskin. I don't get a chance to play it a lot because my family don't like it too much because it's too RPG. Um, it, it's, Monkskin <laughs> I, have was, many, I have many complaints about Munchkin, but it being too yeah. RPG is not one of them. Yeah, well, that's the thing that when we couldn't, you know, we didn't have enough people to play D&D or something like that or Hackmaster, we would always 
bus function out and play it. Too. But that it's a, a point of, of argument in your defense here because a lot of the ones that have come out later with the reskins, the big problem with Munchkin, it's literally referred to as the Munchkin problem, is that everybody just beats down on whoever's the farthest until everybody's at level 9 of 10. Yeah. And then it just lasts for two hours. And a game that should be really fun in about a half hour lasts forever. Yeah. But a lot of these ones that came out later, I think they realized that that was a growing problem. And so a lot of these other, like my, the one that I always point to is the Munchkin of the Apocalypse, where you're breaking seals to let loose the end, the end times. If you break that last seal, it's game over and whoever's the farthest wins. Yeah. So it's not like you have that. There, there is a hard and fast end point. And I think that I would like Munchkin a lot more if, if we had more of that. Well, I could see a uh, rule changing. You know, maybe a homebrew rule for it. There we go. How about next time I talk to Steve Jackson, we'll have that discussion. The the Dread Gazebo is still my favorite monster of all time in Munchkin. <laughs> I don't know if I have a favorite, per se, uh, but, I mean, I just enjoy a lot of the armor and stuff that's in it. It's the house plant. Your favorite's the house plant. <laughs> oh. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's horrible. <laughs> it's, it's the best greatest monster ever. All right, let's let's move on to the last right. question because this one this one it, when it came to the third question, we had a couple that were really 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 good, and we're like, oh, what are we gonna do? Uh, but it was Tr's question. Tr, our beloved, you know, hopefully occasionally coming back co-host. Uh, he asks, what biblical character, story, or theme would you like to see made into a tabletop game or RPG? Now, oh well, wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna go first because I'm kind of I will say that I kind of leapt off of what he in the original question he made a suggestion of something that he wants to see, and it was David's Mighty Men, and doing a game off of those guys. That sounds really fascinating because they're mentioned often, but you don't really know much about them. But I wanted to see a one verse one game, area control pretty much dudes on a map, but it would either be David versus Saul or David versus Absalom. And I wanted to, to see that because I, I love games. I, I'm not the kind of person who wants to, like, I'll play Memoir 44 and if the Nazis win, you know, that's just how it goes. I'm not one who cares about historical accuracy. So I'm not going to care much if Absalom or Saul wins over David if it's a cool game. But I love that setting. I love, I think you could do some, like a really good designer could do some interesting things with uh, different player powers, different army powers in that game. Uh, you're going to have uh, David's forces are going to be smaller, pretty much in both. So it would be really interesting to see that play out. Now, I, I always go to more of an RPG stance on a lot of this stuff. Um, we're my. You know, as I said before, um, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is uh, Benaiah. Um, we actually named Sammy. His middle name's Benaiah. Uh, his first name's Samuel. So it's one of my wife's favorite characters from the Bible. I always say characters like they're make-believe, but I mean people from the Bible. But, um, you know, the stories behind Benaiah, he, he had a battle with an Egyptian who was supposedly like eight feet tall. And he he took that Egyptian's own spear from him and killed him with it. And then another one where he actually chased a lion into 
um, its own den to kill it. I mean, I could see that as like single player one shots, um, which would be kind of fun. And then the other one was Ehud. I always say Ehud, the left hand dude. And when he went to assassinate the king, you know, things like that could be turned into um, really good one shot modules uh, or one shot little adventures, not a full module. But then also. I was talking to Mike a little bit earlier about a um, a kids game that we could possibly make of a, uh, a pick up and deliver for Noah, and you're literally picking the animals up and delivering them safely to the ark. Oh, I still think that's a terrible idea. Come on, man! We could be the first inroads game ever, and it's a kids game. They've already there's already been a couple companies that have made Noah's Ark's games, and they've all been terrible. Yeah, but it's not this one. It's not us. And you know we're, you know we're really tongue in cheek about some of this stuff, and we could add a little flair to it, and it'll automatically get the seal of approval. I I want that as a blurb on the back of this hypothetical box. Yeah, there have been some terrible ones, but they're not this one, and they're not us. <laughs> Daniel they're Fisher. Right, they're right there. We'll sell the game. That's it. We're doing it. See us on Kickstarter in about two years. <laughs> All right, it, it's time that we need to start talking about some more interesting things. So, uh, at every episode, we want to talk about ways that our faith impacts our gaming and how our gaming kind of reflects our faith in the Christian life. And that's a segment that we refer to as coffee and contemplation. This one started off kind of going off of uh, a portion that not all, but a, a good portion of it because it literally just got into us being incredibly nerdy and going way over time yes. that I edited out of the last episode. But uh, Daniel and I were talking about the differences in D&D editions. Uh, Specifically, Daniel was talking about how he's fallen deeply in love with the older editions for what they do. And how I've mentioned that D&D 5th edition is everything I've wanted D&D to ever be. So, basically, the, the Daniel, check me on this if you agree or not, but my thesis as to why we do that is because we go in liking slash expecting different things yes. from D&D. Yeah. And, and what we like and expect affects which edition we prefer. Right, and and a lot of people don't think about that um, because we go in expecting one thing and we'll have a horrible time because it's not what we expected. And and so with me falling in love with the OSR, that's what it's called, The um, I hear a lot of the older gamers complain about the newer editions. Oh, this isn't D&D. This is blah, blah, blah. You know, and I hear it all the time. And they grumble and they hate it and... And then the younger players who are playing like 5th edition, you know, make fun of the older people because they're like, oh, you're just a bunch of gatekeepers. You don't want us to enjoy our games and stuff like that. So that stuff gets thrown around all the time. But the thing is, though, you have to look at why that edition came about. Um, You know, and I'm not I could go through the entire history, but we'll be here too long. No, so, let's let's just kind of shrink it down. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about what, because 
you are looking at the older ones. What is it about the older ones that drives you to that? And then I'll follow it up with why I like fifth edition, why I prefer fifth edition. Okay, so the the reason older games appeal to me more is it's more lethal. So you're you're fighting to survive in the older games. So you're you know you're to get the higher level spells and things like that. You have to grind and grind until you get to that point, and you you can die any moment. And when I run a game, even in fifth edition, I tell my players. Keep a backup character because you're going to die. Because I make my games lethal more than more so than what the standard fifth edition game is. I do play fifth edition, and there's not a, a you know for a while there I did have a bitter bitterness about it because I was hearing everything all these old people were saying, and I'm like, if they love this game so much, I should be a little bit upset over fifth edition as well. But then I realized it wasn't justified because it's not the same game, right? It's a completely different game. Well, see, the thing that, that you like about this is literally I, I could not care less. Right. The reason being is because I'm not driven to play D&D for combat. In fact, one of the reasons that I loathed 4th edition is because it's almost entirely combat. Well, if you think about it, though, 4th edition was almost a remake of Chainmail. Right. Because Chainmail was nothing but a miniatures battles game. Right. And that's what 4th edition did, which is why I didn't, I don't dislike what I played. I played for years with my crew, 4th edition. But the whole time we're doing it, I'm like, I I don't want to spend three hours fighting this one fight. Like, I don't care. And like, at the same point, I'm that nerd at that table who was like putting on my bad Scottish brogue for my dwarf. And and Everybody's really getting, like, why are you doing that? Creating these interlinked story angles that no one cares about but me, and but because that's my thing, that's why I yeah. play D and D. Is I want to tell this story. I want these characters to develop and grow. I want right. the the NPCs that matter. I will spend three, four, five sessions not going to a single combat, and that is like my best <laughs> idea ever. Like, that's what I love, is if I can get a DM who's going to roll that for me, I'm like, yes, sir, bring it on. Yeah, and, and that that's fine. I mean, that's what you like. Now, I'm to a point now where I'm like, like in a blending of both, okay? Now, when I didn't like 4th edition because it was too chonky for me, I really, I really didn't enjoy it. And so, like, but... I don't think Pathfinder's chonky, which is bad. Um, I just there's so much bulkiness to fit fourth edition. I just didn't like it. But the the thing is though, um, a rule per se that I enjoy better with the older editions is instead of rolling for charisma checks or rolling to see if you a diplomacy, and actually in the older versions you didn't roll for diplomacy. You just talked <laughs> you talked and you had to coerce the, the the dm and if the dm think you did a good enough job so you were actually role-playing more in the older editions but even then the argument could be but what if i want to play that character but i'm not good at it the right. character's good at it i'm not good at it but does that affect i mean like what you know i've always mentioned that I had friends in high school who had issues because we think that they were on the spectrum 
with dealing with people in a normal normal area. And when we're sitting there playing second edition and they had to deal with with these things and figure stuff out, I think personally, I think it actually helped them along to become that person in real life. Right. But again, it all comes back to what you're expecting and what you're, yeah. what you're wanting. Yeah. Because if you are trying to develop those skills, yeah. then absolutely, that's exactly what you want. But if you want to yeah. just... Like I just want to chill play. out, and I want to play. <laughs> I want to play somebody who's a lot smoother than I am because I want the escapism of of how you yeah. know awkward I can be. Then yeah, you want to be able to roll a die and go, "Yep, I convinced them." Mm. Like, what? yeah, it, it's it all com- it all comes down to what you're looking for the, in the board game realm. Like, I love storytelling games. Sitting on my desk right now is a copy of Once Upon a Time, a game that I've shared both in article form and here on the podcast, that if you play that game to win, you might as well not play it because you're going to have an awful time. There have been so many times that uh, I've played with people and and they're like, what's your favorite game? And I'm like, I can't. What game do you want to play? Because I can yeah. tell you what my favorite game is, but I know you're going to hate it. Yeah. Not because not because you're like not able to enjoy it, but because I just know the kind of thing you enjoy. It's not the kind of thing I enjoy. Right. And we've actually been having this discussion outside of the concept of D&D here the last few days with you know people not enjoying games because it's not what they expect it to be and they right. they put put other things upon it and and I'm dealing with that in real life with somebody at the moment, and they've actually come to me for help over it because they're not enjoying games with their kids. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you've just got to know what you like. And the thing is, though, um, what I would always tell everybody is get a, get a better idea and understanding of what you're wanting and what each thing delivers because then you will really like if you really 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 love storytelling versus the combat and you want to play D&D then play D&D but if you don't want to play fantasy play Vampire the Masquerade cuz that's all that is well storytelling. And, and there's so many things that I've seen especially in the the realm of Kickstarter where you have to buy it before you really see it fully developed a lot of times yeah. there are so many times like I still remember you and I both participated in the Rising Sun Kickstarter it's got cool minis. But that's the thing. If people want an area <laughs> control game where you are, you know, moving your forces and t- it, Rising Sun is not your game. Right. Rising Sun is about negotiation and planning and and, and when to, to break treaties and stuff like that. It's not yeah. that move your army into the territory thing. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people went in. Like every time I see a bad review for Rising Sun, it's almost always, well, why don't we have cool armies? Like why is it so much talking? This is boring. And I'm like, that that's what the game is yeah. though. And But it has all these miniatures. Aren't we going to go to battle and roll dice against it? And no. So we have to actually sit here and be diplomas. And so <laughs> diplomatists, you let's be diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, the, you probably might be one asking yourself, what does any of this have to do with anything about faith or spirituality or any of that nonsense? Okay. Here's the thing: I, if you've ever heard me talk about anything, I'm all about the story and experiencing the stories of Scripture as stories. And so I thought about this from the idea of different characters. The first one came to mind almost instantly. It's the whole idea of the story of the widow's might where they watch this woman walk up to the the 
the pot where you throw in your donation to the temple. She threw in two, like basically the, equi- the equivalent of a couple, a couple cents. Right. And the person's like, oh, that she doesn't have really f- that much faith or she doesn't, if she really believed and really cared, she would give more. And then he's just looking at it going, that's literally all she has. Yeah. She's literally given everything. That guy gave like a fraction of a fraction, but it's a lot. She gave everything. There's more value in what she gave than what he gave. Perspective, what you're seeing and what you're expecting can have a lot of effect of the way we see ourselves, like the value that we put on ourselves. Because, Daniel, I don't know if you've seen this, but I see it constantly. I feel this constantly. The whole idea of the imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's really big in my in IT. You know, um, and actually I talk about this all the time. I talked about this to my psychiatrist because I deal with this daily imposter syndrome because there's always somebody better than me at what I do. And it's not just me. It started out and uh, this was actually only a term that was coined for healthcare professionals, for doctors, Hmm. because they spent all this time. um, And this comes from my counselor because he... I said, I feel like I've got issues with imposter syndrome. He's like, in IT? And I explained how I felt and how how it affected my mood. And then he said, dude, that's, that's you know, straight up imposter syndrome right there. And it's not that I don't know what I'm doing. It's just that there's always someone better. And right. That, and then so that, that goes, instead of that being something that would drive certain people to move forward and be, and be better, it takes some of us and goes, I really have no business being here and we withdraw right. more. Right. And, and, and it affects your mental health. It really does. It affects me all the time. And I, when I start feeling it, I have to pull myself back and be like, listen, God didn't make you to worry about stuff like this. God made you to take care of your family and do this and gave you a passion for computers and writing software and all this other stuff. And you're just having a bad day, you know, and, and I deal with that. And, and sorry, you got me off on imposter syndrome. <laughs> you probably, you didn't even know I dealt with it. Oh no, I'm so, pretty sure all of us do. Yeah. And that, I now granted we haven't had that conversation, but I'm pretty I'm pretty confident based on what I do know of all of us on the inroads board, pretty sure it's a hit literally all of us. Yeah. Let alone all like, the people that I've talked to in the tavern, yeah. and I'm pretty sure this is not relegated to us. This is something that I've talked to with other podcasts. This is something that I've talked to with people in in other forms of, of everything. Like there's always people who deal with this. Even people who I've looked at and go, I can't believe you feel this way. You are awesome. Yeah. And that just goes to, again, show that your perspective, that if you're expecting perfect and you have almost perfect, you in your mind will still craft this concept of I'm not good enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it woke me up the other night, two nights ago. It woke me up. And, and and it hit me at like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, well, this is why this person said this. And then I looked at him. I had to think to myself, Daniel, go back to sleep. You're being an idiot. Right. But and, there's another aspect to it, too. I don't want to just talk about his perspective on ourselves, but it's how we see others, too. Right. If we have the expectations and the, the perspective of, of, of 
anything other than human beings just like us. And we put that on somebody else. If we're expecting somebody else to be perfect, if we're expecting somebody else to to fit a mold that we have put them in, especially because oftentimes we do that without telling them we've done it. Mm-hmm. We put somebody into a mold and say, this is what you're supposed to be like. This is what what your life's supposed to look like. This is how your relationship with me is supposed to look like. We never tell them that. Yeah. and I'll We just get you, bitter when it doesn't show up that way. And I will tell you, one of the main places this occurs at is in your marriage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of those things, like, I just did marriage counseling uh, this past week. And I had to sit them down and be like, listen. I need to know what you and I. I said to them both. I said, "You need to tell me what you think this person's job is in the relationship, and you need to do the same." And they need to hear it, and we need to discuss this right now because I know it's wrong. <laughs> and not only is it is it ourselves, not only is it with other people, it also affects how we see God. Yeah, we build up as we read these stories in Scripture, as we've had so many people almost for generations now giving us certain sermons and preaching certain things. Cause I hate to tell you, if you don't think that, that the, the way things go in a church is, is always following the Holy spirit and is always dead on has never had any kind of human bias or cultural bias. Ask about the color of the carpet. Yeah. I'm just going to, yeah. Oh yeah. Forget anything serious. Talk about all the stupid stuff that breaks churches apart. Oh yeah. But we will always put our stuff on God. Yeah. We will have an expectation of how God should deal with us. And that when he doesn't, I got to tell you, even the best of us at one point or another will look and be like, you have, even if it's only momentarily, even if it's only for a brief instance, there is that moment of you have failed me in this. I wanted you to do this. I expected you to do this. Yeah. A loving God would do this, or a loving God would not do this. And we hear that all the time in the world. We and say that all the time. It's like, why would a loving God let this happen? I I know I've said that and meant yeah. it. But we're putting that stuff on our expectations about who God is, what he does. It affects the way we, like, all of this stuff. All, it, it's the same arguments we're having with with which D and D game is better. I know, and and it, it it's it really it it finally clicked in my head. Um, what was it? I messaged you about three weeks ago. Yeah, something it, like that. Yeah, I was like, uh, I finally come to terms with fifth edition because it's not this and it's this, and now I can play fifth edition and not have any issues with it. And I mean, seriously, guys, I was having issues with fifth edition because of all the crap that was surrounded and the people I had surrounded myself with. And that's another thing because they actually change your perspective. And that's something that we always have to worry about is you have to understand who is around you. These people are going to pour into you and they are going to change the way you look at stuff. So you can literally enjoy something and it's going to be amazing and then you get around the wrong people, and then just crap on it, right? And and I see I see this in high school, and for instance, my daughter, uh, she's asleep now, so I can talk about her. She loved role playing. She she had her friends over all the time, and the moment she got into high school, she's just too good for it because everybody thought it was dumb. 
and but yet she enjoys it, and and she secretly enjoys it when we make her play at home. Make quotation air quotes make. So so at the end of the day, as we anyway. kind of head towards wrapping things up, I the one thing that always comes back to me is is that that it seems like we're always doomed to do this. That it's going to affect how we see ourselves. It's how we see others. It's how we see God. But the one thing that I would say, if we're going to have any kind of positive takeaway from this, is the idea that God's perspective on us, that, that God's expectations of us are full of grace and compassion. Yeah. Always. And I mean that always. Because... He's God. He pulls that off to a level that none of us can. He sees the story in ways that we can never even comprehend. This is, this is God. And I think that that's, that's what I want to rest on. What I encourage all of us to rest on is the idea that our perspective will be jacked up. Yeah. Our perspective. We're human. Yeah. Our perspective has bias, pro and con. Our perspective has has cultural manifestations that some are really interesting and really cool and great, and some are just twisted and weird and not cool at all. We've got all these different things that that change and shift and break. And there's only one person who sees it and thankfully he's the one who gives us the most grace and the most compassion the one who broke death yeah and yeah like rather than sit around just really hammering each other i think one thing that we can do one thing that we have the capacity to do especially in in a community like this that is filled with so many different people dealing with so many different perspectives and seeing things so many differently, even just within Christianity itself. It's the idea of, of really listening to each other and find out what the perspective and expectations are to interact at that level, to see where we come from and why we come from those places. And then at the end of the day, all together with all the differences and all the craziness, seek God in that. Because when we really put aside our crap and that, and this even goes for realizing that our perspective can be skewed. And so we listen to people who think that our perspective is jacked up and not just wait to defend ourselves, but listen, honestly, listen to realize that our perspective might be hurting us. And at the same point, Share ours too, to really open up our hearts and really share what we're going through and share what God is speaking to us. Community is a way that we test each other, not in a, you know, academic test kind of way, but in a way that we figure out what's right. And we figure out not only what's right, but also the things that we can, can live with that are, were our differences. I recently just went to, we were part of a, a marriage group at our, our church. And there was a statistic that was brought up in the book that we were reading that basically said that pretty much the overwhelming majority of the conflict in your relationship isn't going to be quote unquote solved because you're two different people 
who have two completely different perspectives. You don't solve it. You live with it. You love each other through it. And I think that that's something that comes away from this discussion for me is that I think that we need to stop worrying about solving each other's problems and, and really just realize that we need to love each other through them. Cause I think, <laughs> did I, did I hit you? Right did I hit it's you hard a, on that yeah, one? Yeah. It got me in the feels, man. Uh, you're, you're, you're on point tonight. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. All right, well, that I think that just means I need to to shut up and and end this podcast because we need to, you know, I need to end on a high note here. Oh yeah. All right, Daniel, how about you send us out this time? Oh man, we'll you, shake. I'm the, gonna get it wrong. We'll shake the cobwebs off. You know, you've been getting it wrong for years, dude. We're gonna do it anyway. Just remember, no matter how the dice. Wait, ah, see, look, I already messed up. Go ahead, Mike. You re- okay, okay. I'm, I'm gonna have to get it out of the notes. I'm gonna have to read it from verbatim oh, every and, time because and, I'm horrible. And don't think I'm editing any of this out. Oh, I know, I know, and, and, and I never pretend to be be perfect with it. For 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 Daniel and everybody else who hasn't heard it before, always remember: God is the game master. No matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.